find the good in it. You know, you can choose to be miserable in it. You can choose to let it ruin your life. Because I've seen that happen too. But you could also choose to see it for what it is and then move forward in a different mindset. And we do, like, whether or not you believe you have the power to do that right now, you absolutely do. It's just a matter of finding it and believing in yourself enough that you can do that first, like, take that first step. It's not kind of going back to what we said before. It's not that you have to have the whole picture figured out because you never will. It's just what's your next step? Like the one, the one thing that my coach said at one point was to set an affirmation on my phone as a reminder that pops up sporadically throughout the day that says, do the next right thing. Right. And it has nothing to do with knowing what the outcome is going to be or having the big picture context. It's what is your next step and are you willing to take it? Hello and welcome to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show I'll be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset trauma coach, helping to inspire, support and guide you to create a growth mindset so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. So are you ready to bring mindset to life and feel inspired? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. This week I'm joined by Sarah Penny, who is a massage therapist and an osteopathic manual practitioner, who recently branched out into the online world as a mindset wellness coach when her practices were shut down during the pandemic. Sarah's had a long relationship with self-doubt, starting back in her childhood, but it was but only realized the true impact of that during the last few years while going through a toxic breakup. With the help of professionals, Sarah started a, her own healing journey into personal development and dove into her inner transformation using breathwork, tapping, mirror work, inner child work, talk therapy, parts work, and art at the same time working with a mindset and business coach. She has learned to move forward despite her fear in the unknown and now uses self-doubt as a tool and approaches it with curiosity to understand it more. Today, Sarah is sharing with us how these amazing tools have helped her to rebuild her relationship with herself and to reframe self-doubt. So welcome, Sarah. It's lovely to have you on the show. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm excited to talk to you because... Obviously, your story can kind of hit home for a lot of us. We've just gone through the pandemic. Um, We're still kind of going through it, I guess, already and coming out in the aftermath of it all. Um, And even though it's impacted us all on various different levels, to to find out that your not one but two practices were closed due to that must have been really quite hard to take. And I know, obviously, it was in those moments that you went on to pivot and start to branch out in your own online business, which is very, very exciting. But I'd really love to kind of hear in your own words a bit more about the challenges that you went through to kind of get to that point of pivoting, but also to explore your self-doubt journey, saying that obviously it started at a young age, but you never fully recognised the true impact until quite a few years later. Um, when it resurfaced during your toxic breakup so if you wouldn't mind just sort of sharing a little bit about these challenges before we go into the amazing conversations of breath work and tapping and on and all of those great techniques that'd be fab yeah absolutely um so my my practices got shut down the first time in March of 2020 with the beginning of the pandemic as many people can um agree with that a lot of businesses were impacted by that so I work in Canada Um, both my massage therapy practice and my osteopathic practice got shut down for I think three months the first time Um, we were graciously allowed to keep working come summer so I think it was like end of June we were back to work uh, with limited capacity a lot of restrictions in place because obviously we can't work from home and we're working hands-on directly with the public. So there was a lot that happened in the business to prepare for coming back to work. And then what I noticed ended up happening over the next year was not only was I working hands-on with my clients, um, but also 
just having to deal with the level of stress and fear and uncertainty and all of the emotions that come with living through a global pandemic. Yeah. So while I was not, I'm not qualified to counsel or do anything in the emotional realm, um, I found myself having to sit through these conversations and still hold space for them because that's what people were coming in with. That was their primary concern was, I I don't know if I'm going to see my mom this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was very hard. Um, My, the bulk of my practice now is osteopathic Mm -hmm. and in Ontario, osteopathy is not regulated, whereas massage is. Right. So when the second wave hit, osteopaths were shut down again, but massage could keep working. So that was the first pivot I had to do was getting used to actually treating with massage therapy and offering that to my clients instead, which is very different from what I do as an osteopath. Yeah. Um, that lasted, we were back to work for about a month and a half. And then that happened. Mm-hmm. We were shut down for another four months got a month of reprieve and then got shut down again so it was during that last shutdown that I realized um, a lot of what my clients were looking for right now and what I could still support them in from a distance was this like stress side of their health so what I started doing was I started my Instagram account I started recording some short little guided meditations, um, guiding people through deep breathing techniques and mindfulness techniques, because that's what I wrote my thesis on. So that's what I started doing for that last shutdown when I couldn't work as an osteopath. Yeah. And I got a lot of really, really good feedback from that because literally that's what people are looking for. They need help managing their stress. that was a really, really big leap for me though, because I hate being online. (laughs) I hate being live. I hate being on video. (laughs) So for me to show up in that capacity was huge. It was huge. And it triggered self-doubt in like an exponential way, like ways that I've never been challenged before. Mm. So it was very interesting to move through that after having gone through about a year and a half of therapy at that point where a lot had already changed. And this was like really my first chance to kind of put all of those new skills into practice in a very real way. Yeah. Yeah. Throw yourself in the deep end. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, it's hard. I mean, obviously I've always been in the, well, not always, but in the last um, few years, I've been in the online space. And so I can only imagine the impact that that would have had on your business going back and forth, back and forth. I'm in it. I'm not. I'm in it. I'm not. Um, Along with all of the other concerns of what that then leads to with money and so on and so forth. Um, And so it's really tough to, to navigate through that. But it's interesting that even though you were you navigating through that. I mean, you were really listening to what your clients needed and, and noticed that obviously they were coming to you for the sessions, but they were, they were coming with a lot of fear and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety, um, which you started obviously then to pick up on. And then by the third wave had then started to explore the possibilities of um, supporting them from a different way, which is amazing to pivot in that short period of time um what you said that you'd already had about 18 months of therapy was that guiding you towards that decision or were you solely focused on healing yourself first that you hadn't really thought about taking it beyond you uh the therapy was had a very well-rounded effect let's say that Hmm. (laughs) initially I started going because of the breakup yeah um which happened end of 2019 Mm -hmm. Within a month of that breakup, I realized that I needed help. And that's when I started seeing the therapist. Yeah. So the first, I think, four or five months was focused solely on healing from the, th- from, from the breakup um, and some personal uh, behaviors that were brought to light and working on those. And then once I got to a place where I was okay, more or less, we started branching out into other aspects of my life because I realized I found a really good therapist and I wanted to continue the conversation. 
Mm. So then we started looking at family. We started looking at my childhood, my experiences growing up that led into um, behaviors like people pleasing and perfectionism, which are really the physical manifestations of self-doubt, right? Yeah. Um, We looked at business a lot. I was working with my business coach by that point. Um, So comparing notes between what my coach was saying and what my therapist was saying was very interesting because often they were saying the same thing. Yeah. It was a very easy, it was, it was fantastic. Um, It was a very easy transition to take what I had learned on a personal level from therapy and apply it to anything that came up just, just happened to be business this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting that you said that, you know, therapy and their mindset coaches and a lot of it was kind of coming together. You'd be slightly concerned if they were telling you to do different things for sure. But um, would you mind sort of sharing? Because I know from the conversation we had prior to this, that it was when you started exploring that you started to realize that actually self-doubt had impacted you perhaps on more levels than you realize. And I think because, you know, when people are in the thick of self-doubt as in they haven't quite learned many coping mechanisms at this point they don't necessarily know that it's self-doubt or they don't know how much it's impacting them because they're so caught up in it that it's become their way of life and they have adapted their way of life accordingly and even though they might not necessarily be happy with it it's familiar and it's kind of safe and and it's um you know doable every maybe every time they kind of dip their toe in then they come back with oh it's not that bad and you know etc etc so I'd love to know sort of what kind of came through for you for you then to recognize wow I've actually been carrying this on for or carrying this around with me sorry for a a long time now Um, and what kind of patterns did you start to notice that you had been forming unconsciously that other people might actually recognize in themselves Is this on? Yes, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. The, the self-doubt patterns, I can totally relate to what you just said in terms of like being in it and not recognizing that's what's happening. Mm. The first, and, and honestly, like that's where therapy was a big turning point for me because it was that professional outside perspective that said, this is the picture I'm seeing. I'm not sure if this is what you're seeing. Like, let me paint this picture for you. And as soon as I had that outside perspective, I'm just like, oh, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it was still probably a number of months of practice in my day-to-day life where yeah. I watched what I was doing and realized Kate was able to recognize it in the moment of, oh, wait, I know what this is now. Like, okay, take a step back. Let me see. Do I want to continue with this or am I going to choose a different path? Mm-hmm. But it all came back to that initial awareness and that awareness came from an outside perspective because it's really, my therapist gave me a really good analogy for this where he said um, his role as a therapist is to watch me from like a, an overhead bird's eye view yeah. as I'm in, I'm in a burning room. So I'm in a burning room. I'm surrounded by fire. I'm, I can't think straight. I can't breathe properly and I'm completely overwhelmed and trying to figure out how to get out the window on the other side of this burning room and he's the one above me saying turn around there's an open door 10 feet behind you go that way yeah 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 I love that love that so when someone's in the thick of it it can be really really hard to identify what's happening in their life if they have no skills to gain that self-awareness and that self-awareness is really what kicks everything off yeah and you said you know obviously your therapist could notice it initially and see the bigger picture but it took you a few more months to kind of piece those things together and I think this is the thing is with any transformational work it very much starts with awareness and just looking out for certain patterns or starting to broaden your knowledge like you know through podcasts like this or self-help books or something because we don't know what we don't know and like you say when we are in the thick of it you can't see the wood through the trees your the fog is just everywhere you can't see or think clearly and it's too consuming um and it is obviously amazing when you get external support to have that bird's eye view on your life and to start to guide you and see 
things very differently. But not everyone is open to that to start off with, especially, you know, if they've been hurt by people or they've got a lack of trust, then there's very, they have a resistance to them want to invest in other people and maybe taken advantage of again, how they see it. Um, but it's then starting to look at like, well, how can I start to build my awareness? Like if you're listening like now when you are in the thick of it and, you, and actually you're thinking, wow, what do you mean there's life beyond this? Like, it's like, start exploring that. Start listening out for certain things that come into your head at certain points in your life. Start looking at patterns that have gone on in your life. Like I don't, um, you've not mentioned your childhood, but I know obviously a lot of self-doubt really is born in childhood. Um, and either that seed is washed away or it's watered and it grows um, and reinforces as we move into life. And then other things add to it that aren't directly linked, but have some similarities. And so they kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Oh, I wanted to be really technical and now I can't think what it is, but basically um, they just grip onto that flower, that seed and something populate is the one I'm looking for, but I can't think. Um, but the, and it starts to spread, but it all comes from that seed that, that we've watered. But it's knowing what that is. Um, and sometimes you're not going to know what that is to start off with because it's so down in the dark in the soil that you have to start looking for these patterns, understanding these patterns, and then getting to the root cause, which I know you did do eventually with some of these techniques. But I would just like to hear you um, explain your expl exploration of it when you were like, okay, so my therapist has said this, I'm now open to perhaps exploring that, looking at the patterns. What did you discover to be your main patterns or your main stories that you had been carrying with you to define you? So a really big one was my perfectionism and people pleasing mm -hmm. and um, procrastination. Mm -hmm. my, three, my three P's. Yeah. <laughs> so those were very repetitive patterns that came up very early that I was already somewhat aware of um, as an adult. Because mm -hmm. you recognize those patterns as a child um, in retrospect. And I saw how they were affecting me as an adult, but didn't really know what to do about them. So mm -hmm. those were the easy entry points for me to start my own self-work. Mm -hmm. And once I had practice in recognizing when people-pleasing was coming up or when I was procrastinating on something, normally I would kind of just muddle through it and hope it didn't last too long. Yeah. But with the help of therapy and some of the other tools that I had at my disposal at this point, I would see something like my procrastination come up or something that looked like depression. Mm -hmm. And I would sit with it and I would sit there and think, okay, like, what are you, what are you trying to show me? What are you teaching me right now? What is coming up that I haven't paid attention, attention to previously? A big part of what helped me with that was the parts work and inner child healing, because it helped me to recognize all these different components of my psyche that were totally normal um, and not pathological at all. Because when you start saying parts work and inner child, and you're talking to these different parts of yourself, it's just like, it sounds very, you know, personality disorder-ish <laughs> if you've never been exposed to that kind of language before, but it's true. And it's, there's a lot of science to back this now yeah. that our psyche is made up of these different components and these different components will drive what we're doing in the moment. So learning to recognize what part of me was active at that time, what it was trying to do, because it's often a protective role that shows up. So instead of looking at my procrastination and judging myself or questioning myself, I started looking at my procrastination as like, what are you protecting me from? Mm -hmm. What, what is happening in my mind right now that I'm trying to stay safe from and staying safe means playing small and avoiding things and hiding from my life. So once you, once I started exploring that a little more deeply, it became easier. It's like a snowball effect, right? So mm -hmm. once you get one under your belt, it's like, okay, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what's the next thing I'm going to tackle? And actually the EFT, the, the rapid relief technique and the coaching that I'm doing right now is really, really good at solidifying that because the whole concept is to become a detective in your own life. So it's really just 
riding on skills that I had already been practicing over the past two years is the, um, the rapid relief technique training that I've been doing has only been the last four months. So it's a little more recent in terms of the tools that I've been using. You mentioned uh, something really interesting there when you said it was a good entry point, knowing mm-hmm. people pleasing, procrastination, professionalism. And that's the thing is you don't need to know everything. Um, if you can just find one simple entry point like you did and then start to work on that part, you then start to it starts to open up to other parts of you. Um, but it's just being able to find that one entry point, which comes from the awareness piece. Um, but all too often we're designed to think that we have to know everything first before we act. Like we have to know exactly how I'm going to feel better, what exactly I need to do before committing to doing it. When the reality is the confidence and the results come from taking the action when you don't necessarily know and just kind of going with, what can I manage today? What is the one thing that I can focus on today that's going to make me feel better than yesterday? And then what can I do tomorrow that's going to make me feel better than I feel today? And just looking at it at that. And when it's at that small level it's there's no real pressure on top of you then you're just exploring like you're saying being a detective love that love that saying um and looking within rather than externally um another thing you said like with the whole parts work um and talking about how it can make you almost feel like a you know personality disorder but the reality is we put stuff in a box in life and we can go through life not showing our whole self to a vast number of people and sometimes not even to ourselves because of this doubt or this fear and this worry. Um, But it's recognizing what parts have been hidden and why and what information they're holding that can then help you to heal and to move forward. And one of the biggest things that I work with with my clients is to allow them to feel authentically whole, like to wholeheartedly trust and believe in themselves. And to recognize that our flaws or our mistakes or whatever it is that we think is, is negative are actually our strengths and our power, because that's what makes us so different from everybody else. Um, and so it's like, it's a general thing that we do, isn't it? We, we put things in a box, save it for a, a rainy day, or that's a box I'm never going to open again, because um, that's got all the horror stories in or whatever. But we just kind of subconsciously do that. Um, anyway so again that is another form of detection and starting to explore the lessons that come from this and I love how you have reframed self-doubt into a positive and into a curiosity tool because there's so much negativity around self-doubt because it can make us feel like shit and it can cause us to doubt ourselves But there is also so much valuable information stored in our self-doubt that can really be positive and help us to explore and to grow. And also, you know, I very much work on the the terms of being 95% okay. But I think with that 5% uh, window, that allows you to have wobbles, but also to feel safe when you expand and grow. Because the reality is every time we evolve, we are naturally evolving processes. we're going to be doing something that we've never done before. And so instead of judging ourselves or feeling nervous about it, it's accepting that that's a natural process. Um, And that 5% window allows you to do that without taking you on that journey of, oh no, here we go again, I've been here before, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. But it just allows you to have that flexibility. Um, And I think it's really, really important to kind of work with that overview of nine to five, managing it, 5% not, but really looking at what is going on. What are the stories? What's the information that you've been hiding, but actually is the key to unlocking your next level of happiness or your next level of success? Did you find that? Were there lots of unlocking moments for you? Oh, absolutely. And I find that as I dove deeper into the process as I got to know my different parts more, it really helped with what you were just saying about authenticity. Mm. And the more I realized that in myself, the more I realized the same thing was happening with my clients. So this is now a conversation I can have, um, whether it's in regard to 
something in the context of life coaching or whether it's in the context of physical healing, it doesn't matter because it still has an effect on you, right? Mm. Like these, these things are still having an effect on your body, but it does often come back to that vulnerability piece. Because like you said, we don't want to be vulnerable. That's terrifying. That is inherent risk in becoming vulnerable. So I've discovered that as I went through my own process, that vulnerability piece, like it's always going to be there and it's still there, but I find I have more courage to jump off into the vulnerability, knowing that I'm going to be okay on the other side. Mm. Cause there is like, there's definitely a time in my life where I hit a massive, massive depression. And I think it lasted a couple of years. Like it was the longest bout of depression I've ever had. And it was very much that what you were just saying with that 95% okay. The, like, it was definitely not 95%. I'm just like, if I can get out of bed today, we're doing good. <laughs> I look at my apartment and I'm just like, I feel like I'm living in a pigsty, but also I have no energy to clean. So eventually got to a point where I'm like, no, you know what? We're going to do something. We're going to wash one plate mm-hmm. and that's okay. Right. And then you go the next day. It's like, cool. Okay. We did one plate and maybe we can make a choice now. Do we keep washing the dishes? One more plate, or are we going to go back and lie on the couch? And regardless of what I choose, it's okay. Love so that. I think that was that was the first time that I explored any of this, you know, mental health care for myself. Mm. And now, fast forwarding ten years, I definitely agree with what you just said about that ninety-five percent, um, because you're never going to be perfect. Then there's always going to be that risk and. I think the the key point that I've had to learn is that that's okay, mm. right? To give your to give myself that permission to mess up, to give myself permission to be vulnerable and have it go bad because sometimes it will, and that's okay. Like it's not a reflection of who I am as a person. It's not a reflection of my skills or you know anything about me. It's life. It's just that's just life. <laughs> It just happens. Well, that's it. And I think, you know, again, we put so much pressure on ourselves. Um, and I did. And I remember my husband, and he didn't mean it in, in any way negative, but he would say, oh, Em, I thought you'd overcome this. I thought, you know, we'd move past from this or whatever. And, and then you would just feel this pressure of like, oh, shit, am I letting him down? Like, I thought I'd overcome it. Because you want to show the world that you've, you're fixed in some capacity. What does that even mean? Like, who's ever fixed? No one is. Like, it, but I remember going and having a healing session. And during that session, just realizing the pressure that I had been putting myself under for so long to be this perfect person, this representation that I've moved on from my past and it doesn't bother me at all. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I didn't realize how draining it was until I realized what I was doing. I remember coming home and crying almost with relief and just hugging my husband and just saying, look, you know, I'm 95% okay. And actually I think that's fucking awesome. Like to go from where I've been to where I am right now, I think that's fucking awesome. And I'm really proud of myself, but I'm going to stop striving to being perfect because it's bullshit and it doesn't exist. And all it is doing is putting immense pressure on me to, to be this person that I'm not and then feeling like a failure when I'm not. Um, and it was an absolute revelation. And I think, you know, with self-doubt, it's always there. It's always there in the background. I was having a chat just a minute ago with someone and he said, do you think everyone has self-doubt then? I said, yeah, I do. 100%. I think I've not met anyone that hasn't at some point. The difference is you can learn how to manage it. So it doesn't feature for the world to see on a regular basis. It might feature in your mind on a daily basis, but you've got coping mechanisms to pull it back. So it's just a little blip rather than a right downhill um, turn for the worst. Um, But it's always there, but it's being 95% okay with it. And like, Again, having that little flexibility, like we're saying, and, and it's such um, a game changer, I think, on, for so many people, but my God, certainly for me to recognize that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's huge. It, it, it is huge. 
because the pressure that we put on ourselves, whether you're in the thick of it, whether you're coming out the other side or whether you're just in day to day life is is immense. And society puts so much pressure on us as well to you to lead this perfect life. You look on social media and you see all these people doing perfect things. And it's like, oh, my God, they've still got their shit together. And what you don't realize is they were crying 10 minutes before or, you know, a kid had just puked on them or something straight after that photo was taken or, or whatever. You know, we see this highlight reel of other people's lives and yet we feel this pressure to be like them and the reality is that no one no one has got their shit together 100% of the time I'm sorry if you're sat there thinking well I can do I don't think you do <laughs> prove me wrong. I'd love for someone to prove me wrong but no one does because it's just an impossible task um, my my, fir- my first thing thought when I hear that is okay so so what part of you is saying that you've got your life together yeah <laughs> exactly what, what's what's being protected right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, you, what you're scared to see and what you're running from oh it's very um, true like I look at it as just like this is the human experience we're here for the ride no one's coming out the other side alive like just mm-hmm. live like and that's the, the other thing that I saw a lot of this year specifically was people not living like we're alive but we're not living Mm. and if you're not stepping through with that like authenticity and really embracing yourself for who you are not who society or your parents or your church or your social circles or your school has decided that this is what you should want this is who you should be this is how you should act to to actually like live the way you you want to live the way that lights you up Mm. people don't do that I don't, I don't know if it's any different over in the UK, but no, 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 no. <laughs> North America, we've got a lot of things backwards in that, in that regard. No, no, no. You just made such a powerful statement there. And I think, you know, after the, the aftermath of the pandemic, I think people are scared to fully embrace life. But I think, you know, if you ask people, are you happy? Um, and again, I was speaking to this lady um, in an interview and she was saying, she bumped into her old school teacher who asked her if she was happy and she automatically said, oh yeah. And he went, no, are you really happy? And she was like, hmm, haven't really thought about it because we're so autopilot living, aren't we? That we go, oh yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm happy. Don't want to burden you with like how I'm feeling. But it's then, well, am I actually happy? And I've had those conversations where I'm like, am I deep inside truly, truly happy? No. But people are scared to do that. And because we're not going deep on those conversations, I I agree with you. I don't think people are fully living and embracing life. How have you learned to fully live and embrace life then in in the last um, few years with your inner transformation? Yeah, um, honestly, it comes down to making a choice, I think. Mm -hmm. It's, It's very much the little day-to-day things and learning to find joy and pleasure in it it could be as simple as taking my dog for a walk and like all of our leaves are changing color right now Mm. and actually a great example of this is that my parents just got a brand new puppy like just this summer she's four months old we're taking her for a walk out in the fall leaves and walking through the woods and this dog is absolutely fascinated by leaves falling like she just cannot wrap her little puppy mind around the magic of falling leaves right now. And it's just the best thing ever. So I love taking her for a walk through the woods now because it's just like, I get to experience walking through crunchy falling leaves with this, like with new eyes Mm. and I can her joy is contagious. She's chasing the leaves. She's barking at them. She wants to roll in them. And it like little moments like that remind me like there is pleasure to be found every moment of every day if you choose to see it. And I recognize that someone who is deep in the muck of their self right now and their coping mechanisms, that's very, very hard to see. And it's I remember thinking this, hearing a conversation like this happening 10 years ago, thinking, yeah, it's great for you to say, but like, you know, you're not in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I get it. And it's hard. But sometimes it's literally just like that, that first step, mm-hmm. right? And it's that, that permission to have a choice, at least, even if you don't choose joy in that moment, 
mm. recognizing that again it goes it goes right back to that awareness right it's it's awareness of what's happening right now where is my mind at and then recognizing that I do have a choice mm-hmm. and what what choice am I going to make am I going to choose to stay here mm-hmm. or am I going to choose something different because I don't know where that other path goes yet mm. and honestly finding finding the joy and the happiness in life now is that's what it comes back to it's not these big momentous aha moments I mean those are great and I love those and I celebrate those Mm. but actually even celebration having the energy of celebration on a day-to-day basis has completely changed how I look at things Mm. Um, it's actually something I teach my clients a lot even in my like massage and osteopathic practice, I give out self-care. And, you know, when people think self-care from a manual therapist, it's like, oh, cool. Stretches, yeah. <laughs> heat, <laughs> yeah. drink water. Like, okay. Um, but like the, the home care that I give my clients is just like, go play this weekend. Like do something you enjoy just for the sake of doing it. And the look they give me is just like, wait, what? <laughs> It's like, no, seriously, like this, this is what's happening in your body. This is what I'm feeling. And this is how you fix it. Go play, go have fun, go enjoy your life. And that's really hard for people to do. It's very hard for people to do. It is very hard. Uh, I mean, I think I'm a joyful person, but I remember someone saying to me when I was going through a bit of a struggling time, exactly that. What, what uh, did you used to do just for you that you really enjoyed before you had your son? I'm like, (laughs) I can't remember. Well, you must remember. No, I really can't remember. I maybe went shopping a bit more or whatever. And she's like, no, what did you do for you? And I'd lost total sight of it. And I came away thinking, bloody hell, I really don't actually know what I could do to bring just me joy. Um, And then I was like, I'm just going to take a day off work. And... I just went down to the beach and I just sat down there and I just people watched and I just took my journal and I just escaped for a day, got away from all the normal stuff and just allowed my mind to just be open to exploring what that was. Um, And that was one of the things that I used to always enjoy was doing that actually, but we can get so lost in life. And I think one of the positives of the pandemic is that it has forced us to slow down on a lot of things Um, and go back to basics because instead of having all these fancy fancy things to do you were stuck in your home creating your own entertainment Um, and I know certainly with my son we set up little tuck shops we would have um, cinema nights we would make our own popcorn cones and all that sort of stuff we wouldn't have done that I don't think or certainly not as much as we did do had we not gone through the pandemic it sounds so small and trivial but they were some of our like best nights and the three of us would sit and we'd put out a blanket and make a little picnic and we'd watch a little movie and whatever and pretend we were in our own cinema and it was just like proper creative fun mm-hmm. um and it's going back to that like you say and exploring it and I think life has become very very serious um and every person that I know who's very very successful not just in business in life and happiness the one thing they say they always do is make sure they have fun every day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, my my thesis. I actually had a conversation with my thesis advisor not long ago, and talking exactly about this. And his comment to me, because I was going through some um, like deep grief uh, on like an intergenerational trauma level, and I was reaching out to him for support. And his response to me was, "Laugh at it." And mm. I'm like. <laughs> excuse me what yeah um just like like it's like I'm hurting right now how can you say this to me and he's like you have to accept what's happening whether you like it or not because that's reality and that's where it's at and if you don't accept it then you're going to be resisting it and you know what we resist persists and all of that fun stuff so he's like no radical acceptance this is happening accept that and then laugh at it because you're not getting again it goes back to that human experience right like no one's getting out of this alive and if we learn to look at this as the human experience then it's 
easier to detach a little bit from those serious moments. And although, yes, they're absolutely serious and they teach us a lot and there's a lot of learning to happen there, both for yourself and anyone else involved in that situation. Um, like you, you don't, you don't have a real other way forward other than to find the good in it. You know, you could choose to be miserable in it. You can choose to let it ruin your life. Cause I've seen that happen too, but you could also choose to see it for what it is and then move forward in a different mindset. And we do like, whether or not you believe you have the power to do that right now, you absolutely do. It's just a matter of finding it and believing in yourself enough that you can do that first, like take that first step. It's not kind of going back to what we said before. It's not that you have to have the whole picture figured out because you never will. It's just what's your next step. Like the one, the one thing that my coach said at one point was, to set an affirmation on my phone as a reminder that pops up sporadically throughout the day that says, do the next right thing, right? And it has nothing to do with knowing what the outcome is going to be or having the big picture context. It's what is your next step and are you willing to take it? Oh, I like that. Do the next right thing. Totally. Because it's life is lots of small steps, consistently taken um you know and i've got a program that's on about um changing and and well a lot of the things that i work on is about um uh breaking down your daily negative habits but one of the programs is really kind of looking at success habits and what you can bring into your life every single day and if you think about just shifting that wheel of life from straight north to one to do two degrees either side over time what kind of different path is that going to take you on to the one that you are heading on right now which is not serving you in the way that you want to just one tweak every day that you can do that just moves you away from the pain and even if it only moves you away from the pain for five minutes that's five minutes of rest from the previous day And actually, when it comes to transformation, five minutes isn't just five minutes. It's that energy shift. And that can really kind of take you on that next level because your mind creates your reality. It doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. And if you start to allow it to escape for five minutes and just believe or dream on on a certain level, it will then want more. So then you'll be craving, oh, let's do six. Actually, I don't mind maybe doing 10 because I really loved doing five the other week and it made me feel amazing. I'm going to go for 10. And before you know it, it becomes um, addictive on that level because you know how much it can really transform you. And all your mind needs is just that little window of opportunity and hope away from the focus of what I don't want for it to start to give you opportunities to see what you can create. One of my favorite tools that I've learned to use in that particular situation is playing the what if game. Mm-hmm. And I know whenever you hear what if people immediately think, oh, like, you know, the what if negative cycle, yeah. but I challenge you to do like a what if positive cycle. So when you're in that moment of like, my life is awful right now and I don't want to be here, take it that five minute break and mm-hmm. play this game of what if. So, you know, I'm trying to think of a recent example. Okay, so my boyfriend just had a a potential job offer, but he's in his head about this offer's too good to be true. There's no way it's going to happen. So I'm like, okay, well, well, let's play this game together. It's like, okay, what if if this job was legit, right? Mm -hmm. What if this job gave you exactly what you wanted? What if this job launched you into your graphic design career? What if this job opened up opportunities that you don't even know exist yet? What if this job you know, um, what if it, what if it doubled your income? What if it tripled your income? What if it let you travel whenever you wanted to? What if it let you move closer to me? Right. And you just go on like this for your five minutes, you know, set your timer, even start with one minute, one mm-hmm. minute of like positive. What if, because what this does on, even on a neurological level, it rewires your brain for possibility like you're living in that realm of potentiality for one minute is very very powerful once you get used to it and like you said your brain starts craving more and more and more so you start just living in it and it becomes it goes from this chore to 
a ritual to a habit. And all of a sudden you're living this way and it's starting to make really, really big changes. Yeah. And it's starting to create your new reality, isn't it? Because when you're dreaming of the what if you're imagining it, you're feeling it and you're seeing it. So, so powerful. Um, You said about setting a timer there, which I definitely think people should do and to just roll with that fun. But what I've started doing recently, and I've just started getting my son to do it, is if you're in a mood or a funk, set a timer for how long you're you're allowing yourself to be in it. Um, And again, you know, if someone's in a depressive state, maybe set little alarms for that, like, I don't know, once an hour where an alarm goes off and that just breaks your your cycle of, of mood because you're having to focus on something else. But recently, I remember um, cycling through the woods, taking my son to school. And for some reason, I was just in a, a foul mood. Um, I think, you know, women's things and all that stuff. And uh, I think Max had asked yet another time for a sibling. And I think it was right on the, the day that the monthlies had arrived. It was just one massive reminder that it's just not going to happen. And I was feeling sorry for myself and blah, blah, blah. But I had a really, really important day with my clients and I needed to be on it. And I remember cycling through the woods to the school saying, when I come back and cycle through the woods, I'm gonna leave my mood here. And obviously so I to let them go to school, blah, blah, blah. Wasn't moody with him then, but just stewed on it a little bit while I was cycling home. And then as I cycled through the woods, I then said goodbye to my mood and cycled out the other side. And it was amazing. And I, th- and I know someone that sets an alarm if they're in a mood and they can feel they're in a mood, they set an alarm for like another five minutes and they go, right, when that, is, that alarm goes, this is stopping because this is just not serving me. And it's little fun things like that because you can sort of, you know, smile and laugh about it all, but they are so effective when you just set it like, I, I give you permission to be moody for 10 minutes, sit in that feeling, learn what you need to learn from the experience. Awesome, take the lessons, brilliant. But don't let it carry on all day, set your alarm and then move on. And honestly, this is where the rapid relief technique has come in very helpful for me. Um, Cause I was definitely that person where I've heard that advice, probably versions of that advice my entire life. And f- literally until like the last couple of years, it's been like, yeah, okay. So five minutes have passed, my alarm went off and I still feel like this, like now what? Yeah. <laughs> um, with, the, the rapid relief technique, which for any of your listeners, this is a version of EFT tapping. Mm. So it works a little bit differently in that you're not doing your karate chop point. You're not doing the setup of, you know, even though I'm angry, I deeply love and accept myself yeah. kind of anchoring phrase. And you are tapping in the moment of a trigger. So a moment like this, where you're in a mood, you're in the funk and it's like your normal things are not working. Mm -hmm. This is where I like to go back to the tapping because not only will I feel better after I'll probably come to whatever realization of what this funk really is. Yes. This is, so this goes back to like what I was saying about being a detective in your own life. It's those moments that show up. That's the surface muck that you see on the top of the pond. Mm. Right. And that's where you start because that's what you can see. So it's Mm. like, cool, I'm going to go to my bathroom, lock my door, set my timer if I need to Mm. and start tapping. And what I do is I look in the mirror and I tap and say all the things I want to be saying in that moment, whether it's to myself, to the mood, I give it like its own little persona and I start attacking it um, or if it's another person, I start tapping. I just start saying all these things, you know, so say, say I'm in a depressive funk, I go into the bathroom, start tapping on all the points and you're saying things like, you know, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why am I in this mood? Why can't I get out of this? This is so frustrating. I hate this. I hate this. I hate myself. I hate myself that I'm doing this. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And you realize, especially, and this is very powerful when you're looking in a mirror, because even if you're saying this about, you know, the jerk that cut you off on the road today, mm. You start saying things like, you're such an idiot. What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? What did I ever do to you into the mirror? And all of a sudden you're saying it to yourself. And all of a sudden you have this realization of, holy crap, I actually do believe this about myself. Mm. And all the emotion that comes with that, it starts getting triggered by the tapping, the way you're stimulating your energy systems, the way you're stimulating your nervous system on a physical level. 
it allows all of that to get processed and released. And then after that, I come back and anchor into that new positive belief, mindset, behavior pattern that I want to replace whatever I just cleared out. So with the depressive state, I go through and find out that it's something, you know, deep in my childhood that, you know, I looked for attention from my mother and she didn't give it to me in the way that I needed it at the time for my little four-year-old mind to comprehend. Yeah. You release that. And then it's like, okay, like, I'm okay. I feel good. I do feel good. I love myself. I know I'm loved. And like, I often end a tapping session by looking in the mirror and saying that, like, I love you, Sarah. I love you. And you do so much for me. And just talking to myself in that positive way to finish off that session. Do you tap the positive or just tap the negative? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. It depends on how I'm feeling that day. My, a lot of the tools that I use are very intuitively guided um, yeah. as to like what I'm doing and when I'm doing it and how I do it. Because like my breath work is another one that I love doing, but that one now tends to be a once in a while when I need a big push kind of thing, because I find that very, very intensive. So I'll almost do it as like my own little personal retreat. I'll set the mood, set the environment, like the candles, put the music on, headphones in, pillow, warm blanket, do the breath work, probably a good 40 minutes of it, and then recover, journal, (laughs) whatever needs to happen at that point. But I don't do that one every day. The tapping I do in the moment pretty much every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm certified in, in EFT tapping. And I know when we first chatted, um, I just literally interviewed someone else about tapping. And, it, and it's a good reminder. And it, it brought it back to the forefront of my mind. And yet both yours and hers techniques are similar, but so different. Um, and again, it just shows that it's finding the one that's right for you. And me just saying to you, do you tap on positive as well as negative? And you're like, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It's showing that there is no right or wrong way of doing any of these things. It's finding a way that works for you. And again, because we get caught up in, oh, have I done this right? Well, I'm not sure I've done this right. Or let me just check the manual. Or what does so-and-so say I needed to do? And then the moment's gone. And it's like, just intuitively... If you feel like tapping, like I know sometimes if my husband, he's quite an emotional man, he'll tap under his nose if he's feeling emotional or about to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he likes to weep at a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, he'll tap there. And sometimes I will tap on my pinky finger. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I think that's linked with feeling vulnerable or something. I, I can't remember now, but I will tap on that if I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable. Um, and, and it's, again, just doing what seeks comfort for you in that moment, isn't it? And it's interesting because I just had a conversation with um, a colleague recently about tapping. And she was asking me the same questions because she's like, tapping's never worked for me. Like, I've never felt it was effective. And she shared, I told her this methodology, which she would like to try. And she shared a method that um, a coach had worked with her on previously. Because he recognized that she was having issues with this. And he's like, try this instead. So instead of like the typical points and picking one of those, he's like, you're, you're, you're in your frustration right now. Where do you feel that in your body? Mm. And she pointed out where she felt it. He's like, cool, tap there. Tap there instead. Has nothing to do with our EFT points. Yeah. It's like, go tap on where you feel this happening in your body right now. And she, they ended up tapping all over her body as the feeling and the emotions and the sensations moved. And she said that was a very interesting experience. And again, it goes back to that, like, yeah, we've got kind of this loose guideline of how to do something. There's a reason for it, but it's not a hard and fast rule. And there's always room for these little intuitive interpretations and different ways of changing it. Because it goes back to like, what what works for you in this moment? That's the most important part. Mm. Like, is this helping you? Is this making you feel better? Is this releasing anything? Is this resolving anything? Cool, then do that. Like, who's to say that you're always not better than so-and-so's way yeah 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 so true so true on so many ways not just in the techniques but it's like intuitively do what is right for you rather than what other people say because you know we talk about this all the time in the fact that you can give people the same strategies and they can follow it to the t but they'll get different results because their perception and their experience and beliefs are so different and again it's the same with any of these techniques it's like just because so-and-so has said, do it this way and it works for them, but you're being pulled to doing it a, a different way, just try your way and just see, because there, what's the harm that's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen other than 
you'll feel nothing. Um, and just see, and just, if you, again, if it feels good, explore it. If there's resistance to it, question why that resistance is coming through. Is it because there's a, a safety element or, you know, you feel you might be in danger or is this just ego going, no, 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 you don't need that. No, no, come back here. Come back here mm-hmm. in a safe place, please. Don't explore the world of opportunities, um, which is what the ego does. It likes to keep us in our own little bubble of comfortness. Um, but yeah, it's it's looking at how you can adapt it to yourself. Again, because, you know, I hear all the time, oh, I've tried that once, it didn't work. Or, oh, meditation or journaling. Yeah, I've heard about that. I just can't get my head around it. There are 25 million different ways you can journal. Have you tried all 25 million of them? I'm exaggerating there, but there's certainly more than five ways of journaling. Journal with what feels right for you. Visualize in a way that feels right for you. Meditate in a way that feels right for you. You can just stand in a shower and meditate for two minutes, feeling the water wash all your negativity off. That's a form of meditation. You don't have to be lying in bed with your eyes shut, having an hours long session for it to be a proper meditation. It's what you want in that moment, as you've quite rightly said. And actually, I, so I wrote my thesis on mindfulness when I went through my osteopathic training. And that was the biggest um, consistent result that I found talking to, I talked to 21 osteopaths all over the world that studied and taught mindfulness. And the one thing that I realized was I had 21 interviews and 21 very different methods of mindfulness. Yeah, And it made me realize like there's as many methods of mindfulness as there are practitioners of mindfulness. like. The biggest thing was to, again, it goes back to those day-to-day experiences. Like you can make washing the dishes mindful, right? You can make mm. vacuuming mindful. You can make playing with your kid mindful. You can make eating a meal mindful. Mm. And it's just all, it all comes back to the intention and where your awareness is in that moment. Yeah, 100%. And it also really shows that, you know, there are loads of people out there doing what you do, but they're all going to do it to- totally different. Like, uh, you know, the interviews that I've done so far and the conversations I've had with people so far in this season, it's like we're all talking about the same thing, but we're all coming at it from a slightly different angle. And even if it's just two or three mils, one one like degree to the right, there's still there's still a slight difference in interpretation to it all. And that's the beautiful thing is, you know, when you're in an industry and you say, oh, God, I can't do that. There's loads of people out there doing it already. Yeah, but they're not you. And people will be attracted to you and people will buy into your energy and your experience and your way of viewing things is going to be different to everybody else. So just do you and do it well. And the people will, the right people will come to you. Same with relationships. You know, look at, oh my God, you know, that everyone's in these relationships uh, at my age, there's not many people left who want to have kids or whatever, but there might be, mm-hmm. you'll find them. But and that's, that's been such a big thing, not just in my life, especially in business, like that comparisonitis. Mm-hmm. And this, that's often how my self-doubt manifests in business is comparing myself to my coaches, comparing myself to other people in that space. And it's it can be tough to pull out of, absolutely. But it really comes back to that authenticity and knowing yourself, embracing yourself and showing up that way because you're 100% right. Like, even though what I'm saying has been said a million times before, I've never said it. And there's going to be that one person who's like that, like it clicks, it clicks when you say it that way, because whatever experience you've had has like clicked with the experiences that I've had. And it makes sense now. Mm. And like, that's, that's what I look for, whether it's like a post or a live or just conversation on the street. It's, it's that moment of realization of like, Oh, I get it. Just because I'm the one that said it a certain way. And you never know when you're going to have that experience with somebody. No, you hear things at the right time. And again, that's been one thing for me. I think, oh God, I've said this before. I better not say it again. And yet I watch like all my coaches are past and present. And I, and obviously I still follow them now. And I think, oh, they're still talking about the same thing. But of course they do. Because what, even though I've heard it, I hear it at a different level to where I am right now. So it, I then... Um, associate it with something completely different but also you can hear things but you can listen to things but not hear it if you know what I mean it's like you can look at things but not see it and so you can hear all of this and like you say and then suddenly you hear it on a Friday afternoon when you're relaxing switching off and you're like oh 
oh my god I totally get it now had you told me that yesterday wouldn't have got it but I totally get it now and you receive it at the right time well and there's this whole element like our brains are wired for repetition right so I think it takes hearing something in marketing I think I learned this it takes something like hearing something seven times before someone will like before it clicks or before they buy or what have you. And that's like seven intentional paying attention times. If they're just like scrolling through their Instagram feed, it could take 35 times before they're like, Oh, that's what they're talking about. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, like you said, there's this also this whole concept of like when you hear things at different times you're going to associate it with different things that are happening at that time of your life and you're going to track it with a a different depth of understanding and knowledge and experience that changes or deepens your understanding of what was just said Mm. um a really good picture i know you can't see my hands on (laughs) on the podcast but it's like this this deepening spiral Mm. so you start up here and then you get it Mm. conceptually and then you circle around and you'll hear it again. And, but you're at a deeper level now mm. and it changes a little bit. And it's just like, Oh, I didn't think about it that way before. And then you, you get the concept and you'll circle around again. You hear it again. It's just like, Oh, now I understand this level. And you keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper until you hit this point of the person who taught me this referred to it as like the void, but it's this point of condensation where you're at like kind of like what is the deepest level that you can access right now and it just stews and simmers and oftentimes when I've experienced this moment it's been like this my stroke of brilliance right it's just like that aha like I have to do this I have to share this I have to teach this and then the spiral inverts and you start coming out the other side with this broadening scope as you start sharing and talking about it and reaching more people and then again you get this kind of peak until you add a different context or you get more understanding of it. And then the downward spiral starts all over again. You start condensing it to condensing and condensing into this new idea. And this process just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating for everything that's happening in your life. So no matter where, no matter where you're at or what you're learning, whether you're at this part of the spiral or at the bottom part of the spiral, it's, it's a constantly evolving experience for everything for absolutely everything. And that's just the human experience, right? I love that. I love that. Do you know what, Sarah? It's been amazing that it's like this conversation. It's like, oh, oh my God, there's another, <laughs> there's another nugget. And I want to carry on just to find out what other nuggets that, that will pop through. And this is the hardest thing that I am finding on re- the recordings of this season is keeping to time. <laughs> because it's like, oh my God, there's just so much more to talk about. And I could spend all day talking and there'd still be more stuff. But obviously we don't want to overwhelm, but I love everything that you've shared, um, your insights, the way that you explain things is really, really cool. Um, And again, it's like exactly that. We all explain things slightly differently and how you explain things versus how I explain things will resonate with some and mine will resonate with others. But I just think I love how you've just ended that. I think it was really, really powerful. Is there anything intuitively that you feel you would like to say at the end of, this just for for the listeners right now I think I would say when it comes to self-doubt the most important especially if you're in it right now Mm -hmm. is that element of awareness and recognizing what's happening because if you're not aware of when you're in it and what's manifesting there in your life in your behavioral patterns you're never going to be able to change it Mm. so taking that first step it doesn't even have to be an active, like go do something step, but just watching, watching and observing without judgment, just recognizing that this is where I'm at in reality and that's okay. But practicing that awareness has been the most important pivotal part in my own journey. So I would say to finish things off, really, really pay attention just on a day-to-day level, little things. It's always the little things that matter. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love mm-hmm. it. How can people um, continue to follow you? Well, right now I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Stillness Matters, one word. And Stillness Matters. matters. Yeah. And that is going to be where I'm funneling everything for the time being. So as things expand and grow and I offer things like my coaching and the the RRT tapping um, 
it's all going to be announced through the Instagram page most likely. So that'll be the most consistent way to get in touch. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you so much for, for sharing that insight into the EFT tapping. And if there's anyone that's listened to it and it spikes your curiosity and you want to find out a little bit more, then obviously contact Sarah or contact me about it and I can pass it on to Sarah if I can't help. Um, but it's been amazing. So I really appreciate you being with me um, on this episode. And I really appreciate everyone that's tuned in to listen. So have a fab week and I look forward to seeing you all next week. So bye for now. Take care. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.